We are back for another edition of the Fight HQ preview as we're here to talk UFC Vegas number 73. Of course, I am Jason Foy. That is the fighter Pete Rogers Jr. here to break down this fight card for you. Appreciate everyone tuning in to this episode, whether you watch us on YouTube or maybe if you're watching us after the fact on the podcast channels. Much appreciated. Of course, uh, be sure to uh, give a thumbs up to this video. It does help us out a ton. And of course, maybe this first time uh, seeing us over here on Fight HQ, be sure to hit that subscribe button, hit that notification bell. We are live here on Fridays. We're now we're going a little two o'clock. So my guy Pete get a little extra hour of sleep as uh, he does work a little bit late in the evening, which uh, it works out well for me too. So uh, we are here to break this one down for you. Pete, good afternoon. How you doing, man? What's going on, brother? Um, you know, just grinding, just trying, just trying to survive. You know what I mean? Not complaining at all, but it's a grind and uh, yeah. Um, happy to be here. I love doing these videos. Jason and I have been doing it for Feels like ten years now. Dude, We've been doing dude. it a long damn time. I'm on my Facebook memories today. I saw one yeah. from 2018, bro. We look young as could be. <laughs> you you had that baby face look to you. I probably still had my hair spiked and all that when I could pull no. that off. No, you no, did I not. Didn't. Okay, but even prior to that, we've been doing it for a long damn time. You know what I mean? So it's it's cool to do this and uh, happy to keep growing the channel and breaking down fights. And now people really care about MMA DFS. When years ago, people just kind of sporadically cared. And, and uh, now it's like a consistent week-to-week thing because of the, the amount of UFC events. Well, we actually do not have a fight card next week. So we got a week Ooh. off next week. Uh, oh, you see, nice. look, look at you. you. You got a little pep in your step there. You're like, ooh, ooh I can yeah, sleep in I, on Friday. <laughs> yeah, I ain't no sleeping in, but I need it. I need I need a week off. So, uh, you know, last week was good, right? Like last week was was solid. Um, Some some. Bad bounces at, uh, in regards to like DFS production, you know, like super weird scores for some high end favorites, which is why it's okay to pivot off of some chalky options. Uh, what was it? Carl Williams got the victory, but it didn't really do anything with that score at all. Mid price, Cody Stamen didn't really do anything and obviously lost the decision, but like certain weird things happened. And that's why if you just take it from an analytical and data perspective just kind of just seeing it for what it is exposure wise get different in mma it's a very volatile sport yeah i mean this this one's going to be a, a tough one we'll talk about game theory here in a moment but uh do want to offer up some congratulations to pipe star taking down the fight hq My contest boy. last week over on DraftKings, scoring 602 and a half points uh beating the field by almost 40 points second place uh, was tristan carroll and then third place coming in is jim of the beast so of course top three payout in the fight hq contest uh where you can click on the link there in the description below to get in that contest i've I have been struggling with my cash my cash core the past couple of weeks. I'm hoping to turn this thing around. But, you know, Pete, as we talk about game theory for this week, like if you tell me the optimal on tomorrow afternoon is 1,500, 2,000 left on the table, I would not be shocked. Yeah, I'm with you because I, I like some underdogs. And um, when I was just hand building, I was like, I got a ton of salary left over just because I'm targeting certain fights and, I think certain fights are, are you know, essential uh, for GPPs. And that's the problem with me, right? Like I get a little too ballsy and I just go crazy with it. Even in our, in our uh, discord, um, in, in our contest, our fight HQ contest, like you see my lineups, I have not even cashed once and you guys are just dominating me in there. But, um, you know, I, I like some underdogs and because of the fights, there is some, I would say like the odds on some fights I'm not in agreement with. Um, so, you know, because of the, the crazy difference in salary, I'm just naturally going to have a ton left over. Um, and I'm okay with it. D- don't feel the need. I have a, I have a hard time like leaving salary on the table sometimes too, because I don't know what it is, but you make, you feel like your, your lineup's better if you spend all your salary and that's not the case. I will tell you when I started hand just did my first hand build for the, the Fight HQ contest. One thing that I did as I got to 
the final three. And, and I'll tell you where I started. I started with Angela Hill. And I, I went with a, another underdog in Mahashate. And all of a sudden, I realized, like, I can pretty much get to whoever I want. And, uh, you know, I, th- I think naturally when you're hand building, you, you try to, you tend to spend most of your salary. So, but I think this is one of those weeks where you're, you're probably going to leave some money on the table. And, like, you know, when we talk about game theory here for UFC Vegas 73 over on DraftKings and FanDuel, like, to me, I think there's two fights in terms of GPPs that you have to, you know, be saying, gotta look at rostering. One of those fights to me is Joaquin Buckley versus Andre Fialo. Both of them back at 170. Kind of know the chin issues on both sides of the equation. Buckley came out this week and said, look, the reason I'm dropping back down to 170 is those guys are just massive. I could, you know, with with some of the issues he had there. The other one that to me is going to be a kind of a, a must roster kind of fight and put this in the do not trust list. And, and that's Koski and Orbina. Koski just missed weight. He missed weight by a pound and a half. He's not going to cut any more weight. Also, Vanessa Nomopoulos, she missed weight. And I sent you the video. That body reaction, that is not a good look, Pete. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough, right? Uh, because those two fights you spoke of are super volatile. Um, but I do think that, you know, if you land on the winner of both of them, it's going to set you set you up for 100 points each. Um, so I, I really do think that the, the Joaquin Buckley-Andre Fialo fight is going to be uh, very popular and probably on – you know, one side more than the other. A lot of people are going to be flocking to Walking Buckley. He's the notable name in the matchup. Um, you would imagine that, you know, his resume is going to make people want to, you know, uh, choose him in their lineups a lot. But I, I really view that fight a lot closer than what the odds, you know, odds indicate because I do think that Joaquin is just as untrustworthy as Andre Fialo, especially when it comes to throwing leather. Mm-hmm. Um, don't know how... Either one of these guys are going to rebound um, in this matchup. But the other matchup you mentioned, the Kosi and Urbina fight, is I love that fight. Um, Urbina's damn good, but he fights super reckless and has like amateur tendencies where he just completely expends all of his energy and sometimes gasses himself out. He'll get into fantastic positions, but whenever you see his fights, there are numerous reversals him getting put in bad positions, working out of it, and then putting his opponent in bad positions. That is like GPP territory, and that's what we want. But uh, you got to be careful with your with, with your exposure. Try not to go too heavy on one side or the other, but I, I am picking Urbina in that matchup, and I can't wait to break that one down either. I mean, look, I, I would be very tempted to just create a group of that yep. fight and say give me at least two. And and see what it kind of spits out there. I mean, I think it's going to be hard. Koski missing weight now. It's two straight fights. He's now missed weight. That's got to be a concern. And I mean, look, I think they're probably the loser of that one. I mean, look, there, there's some other fights that I look at and say potentially are fights I, I want to get to. Uh, uh, Borshev and Mashate, I think, is one of those fights. I mean, that's a fight that I expect to stay on the feet. Good chance maybe someone gets knocked out uh, in that matchup. And, uh, you know, look, th- there is someone like an Anthony Hernandez that's going to be just because of that takedown ups side. We've seen the issue that Shabazzi has had and being able to stop the takedowns. We know what Fluffy can do in terms of getting the matchup to the ground, but uh, there, are, there are also some fights that I feel like I, I won't get a ton of it. Like, you know, Kovacavich Demopoulos, even before her missing weight, I kind of thought that was going to be a 15-minute type fight, but now the way she looked, and we'll have to see if this fight does progress forward. Um, you know, other ones like that I look at is Nasimental Latifi is not really a fight I love for GPPs. I don't, I don't know if you have a, a strong. I mean, we'll get obviously get this fight a little bit more, but that's a GPP fight that I'm just like, uh, I don't know if I really want to get there. I think that is the common knee jerk reaction to that fight um, because of Alir Latifi's toughness, his lack of a neck. So you can't really choke him out at all. Um, and just it's heavyweight MMA, right? So um, either there's going to be a quick finish or you're going to see a sloppy 15 minute decision. Um, I, I actually do think that Rodrigo Nascimento is in a very, very interesting contrarian spot. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to actually say that I'm, I'm going to be a little bit more bullish than I normally would in the situation like that, just because I know Alir Latifi throughout his career has dealt with numerous injuries and he's old for the division now. And now he's up against somebody who actually can uh, negate 
some of his best things and that's his takedowns and, and getting people to the mat. So uh, I'm excited to break that one down, but all in all, despite the sloppy card that we have in front of us, there's money to be made and there's ways to get different from the field. And that's what we're here trying to do is just get different from the field and take down a tournament. And let's get right into the main event. It was a matchup that was supposed to take place last week as a three-round fight. Now it's a five-round fight when this fight card lost its main event. Mackenzie Dern taking on Angela Hill. Mackenzie Dern is a minus-170 betting favorite. Plus-145 for Angela Hill. Over on DK, 9100 for Dern, 7100 for Hill. Over on FanDuel, we got $22 for Dern, $15 on FanDuel. Pete, what's your thoughts? So my thoughts are if it was a 15-minute fight, I'm picking Angela Hill. Um, and I, I, I am picking Angela Hill in a 15 minute fight just because I do think the volume is far superior than Mackenzie Dern. The, the striking skill lies with Angela Hill. Mackenzie Dern's still improving and developing her striking for sure. Um, but she really excels on the mat. Obviously her Brazilian jiu-jitsu is absolutely fantastic. She has a lack of wrestling to get it in the realm where she's, she's an absolute expert at. Um, but when the fight does hit the mat, you do see Mackenzie Dern is just levels above her opposition. Um, the issue here is what I always say every week. I dislike 25 minute fights. I really do dislike 25 minute fights. It's a very hard thing to remain perfect for 25 minutes. And a lot of, a lot of, you, you, you make mistakes in every fight. But 25 minutes up against somebody who can really just capitalize on your weakness, where Mackenzie Dern can capitalize on the uh, the submission defense of Angela Hill, I think it just really takes one scramble. One scramble, one grappling situation, even Angela Hill just landing on top in Mackenzie Dern's guard. I think that uh, you know Mackenzie Dern's going to win this fight, but I do not like all of the outside influences and all the distractions that Mackenzie Dern is experiencing within her life. Lots of personal problems. Personal problems can sometimes be fuel, but they can also eat you up inside and lead you to a poor performance, especially when you're having inconsistent training camps and you're not surrounded by some of the best fighters in the world. With all that being said, Angela Hill is an excellent pump play at 7,100 from a uh, volume perspective. Even in a loss, she could possibly you know, outperform that salary and do enough at 7,100 if this touches the later rounds. But I feel like she's going to be winning the fight on the feet. And one takedown, and I know Mackenzie Dern doesn't have the best takedowns at all, but she did land two of 11 against Yan Xiaonan. And uh, in a loss, in a 25-minute fight, she scored 93 fantasy points. I think it's she. sometime in this 25-minute fight, she capitalizes on the ground, and she submits Angela Hill. Um, but all in all, I'm not really prioritizing this fight. If I'm being honest, uh, I'm okay with getting away from it. And I think the public for the most part is going to be attracted to it. So, uh, yeah, uh, give me Mackenzie Dern to find a submission despite how ugly it may get. Yeah. I mean, the, the one thing that when you talk about Mackenzie Dern and being a jujitsu specialist is you look at that takedown accuracy in the UFC 11%. Yeah. And, you know, you just, and the other thing that concerns me is, you know, if she does, this does become a striking matchup. Will she have uh, the ability? One thing I was, I was looking at, cause I just want to find uh you know, what is wins via split decision prop? Because I feel like that's got a good chance of winning. I mean, always right. Women's MMA, super volatile. Um, Angela Hill that, finds that her way in these matchups too. Oh, she does, and she's a tough out. She really is. Her her takedown defense has absolutely improved. Even her her ground game in general has improved. Um, the issue is that when you've been submitted by lesser competition, and now you're going up against one of the best submission artists within the division, it's tough for, to to really convince me that you're going to just do well. You were submitted against Random Marcos back in 2019. And also Rose Namajunas back in 2015. There's been plenty of development, but still Mackenzie Dern just needs one opportunity and she'll capitalize on it. So it's still Dern at 9,100, but I'm not prioritizing the fight. Yeah, I mean, I, I think from the betting side, I'd probably, and I couldn't find a split decision prop out there right now, but to me, I, I think from the betting side, I'd be looking at that wins via decision. Uh, whether you want to go the plus 225 for Dern or plus 200 for Hill, um, we'll, we'll see what happens there. But uh, I don't, 
I don't love the price tag for Dern in, in terms of a GPP play. Mm-hmm. Cash game for Hill, I, I think, is probably going to be a lock for me just because I do think this thing's going to go 25 minutes. And at $7,100, it just allows me to get to so many other things. Now, our co-main event of the evening will be Anthony Hernandez taking on Edmund Shabazian. Anthony Hernandez is a 2-1 to betting favorite. He is $9,400 on DK, $21 on FanDuel. For Edmund Shabazian, he's a plus-170 betting underdog, $6,800 on DK, $12 on FanDuel. Pete, uh, this is going to be a fight that I think a lot of people are going to get to because of the mm-hmm. takedown upside of Anthony Hernandez. Yeah, I, I'm going to prioritize this fight for sure, but be careful because I'll tell you what, this this feels like a trap. And the reason it feels like a trap is because we see Anthony Hernandez um, relatively inconsistent in his early UFC tenure, then starting to hit his stride, picking up that crazy victory over Rodolfo Vieira, Josh Fremd, and most recently Mark andre Berrio. Um, but previously in his defeats, he was TKO'd in the first round due to a beautiful knee to the body and elbows against Kevin Holland. Uh, in his debut, he was submitted against Marcus Perez, who wasn't some exceptional talent in the UFC. Um, and you have Edmund Shabazian, one of the most exciting prospects within the uh, w- within the middleweight division until he was exposed by Derek Brunson where he was taken to take down city and just completely ragdolled and dominated in route to a third round TKO finish. His cardio in the wrestling department uh, is very, very poor. I do think that Shabazian is super young. So this is a situation where I circle this fight. I'm going to get to this fight almost in almost all my lineups, because I think that one way or another, you're going to have a fantastic score. Edmund has excellent round one and round two KO upside especially when you know that Anthony Hernandez has been hurt to the body. As a coach, I'm going to look to exploit that, um, even if that was some time ago, and even if Anthony Hernandez looks to be in better shape than he used to be. I think the the interesting part, right, is when you always take into training camps and teams. Emin Shabazian working at Extreme Couture recently and, and for a little bit now, speaks volumes because if he was still under um, Ronda Rousey's coach, <laughs> I would not, I, I would not be like, you know, thinking that there would be any development, to be honest. The best thing he did is, is leave and start getting, getting around some other superior athletes to train with and being at extreme couture should elevate his entire MMA game. With all that being said though, I think this is a poor stylistic matchup for Emin Shabazian if he does not KO him early because for a 15-minute fight, you want to think of it like this, right? You don't want just an advantage in an early finish route to victory. You want an advantage over 15 minutes, and I don't think he has an advantage over Anthony Hernandez, who is an absolute pace pusher Mm -hmm. and is going to be making Shabazian work. And he's going to t- uh, attempt takedowns, and he's going to test them in all areas. These numbers that that Anthony Hernandez is executing is absolutely crazy. Against Mark Andre Barrio, he went eight of fourteen in the takedown department, and then prior to that against Josh Frem, he went eight of eleven in the takedown department. He does that same type of work rate against Edmund Shabazian, and I think we could have Shabazian break under the pressure and just succumb to the uh, to, to the crazy cardio push that Anthony Hernandez is going to, you know, possess. So give me 9,400 Anthony Hernandez. I like it, but be careful. It does feel like a trap, but I think that's going to be high points galore. And I'm going to be getting a ton of this fight. You know, I I like what you mentioned there because my thought on Anthony Hernandez and and a reason to roster him is potentially this fight getting to a third round and Mm Shabazz's gas tank isn't there. And then, and then really that's where, you know, maybe he has the ability to rack up some points in round one, round two, but then really round three, getting takedowns, control time, and then ultimately a finish sometime in the third round, really leading up to a score here. But uh, obviously it's going to come down to just figuring out a way. Uh, And we'll talk about prize picks later on the show. I don't know if I love the takedowns. Down prop on prize picks for Edmund Shabazz or for uh, Anthony Hernandez, which is three. Meaning, if I go, I, I wouldn't go less. Let me just say that I would not go less. But also, I'm like, oof, go more. He's got to get four. Four. Yeah. I, I, if that number hit two and a half, I feel much comfortable. But I, I don't see any way in hell prize picks is going to put that number at two and a half because everyone's going to so, smash the over. Exactly. So. That kind of really sparked my memory, my memory, and uh, the Lakers Nuggets game 
the first one, right? I had the Nuggets minus six. So so uh, whatever it was. And they didn't call a foul at the end. And then they ended up winning by six. So I got my money back. But I'm like, of course. Like, you know what I mean? Like, Vegas is so sharp with the spread. So then uh, it was minus five and a half uh, for last night's game. And they ended up losing by – they ended up winning by by five. So I was just like, you know, one way or another, just Vegas is always on top of it and ahead of things. And that's where, like, if the number was lower or if you could just have, like, an alternate line, that's why I try to do that also. So I see what the what Vegas puts out, and then I go to alternate lines, and I always do less than what they usually post publicly because I feel like they're so sharp and their their numbers are just so good that you might as well, if you're going to favor one side, just take a little bit less money and – um you know, it's a little bit of a safer play. So two and a half would have been a great number for Anthony Hernandez, but you get to three. Now he needs four and that's where you can run into a roadblock. Yeah. I'll tell you here. Here's my uh, idiot moment yesterday is I thought I put my prize picks play in on that game. Oh no. And then I'm watching the game. Of, I, I, I had a, a LeBron. Um, I think I, I want to say I, I, the play I was looking at was a points, rebounds, assisted. I had one on Jamal Murray, had a couple other ones. And like this, that first quarter is going, I'm like, Oh, let me just log in my prize picks count. And then oh. I go, son of a I forgot I forgot to hit, I forgot to hit submit. I forgot to hit submit. I, I got I got involved in doing something else. And oh, then I'm like, man. son of a Oh man. Yeah, that's the worst. Especially when like obviously hindsight twenty twenty, but when you would have won. So uh yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, especially being here in Florida, you know, we can't, we cannot uh, legally bet uh, on the games, but prize picks is kind of the way to get around that. But let's uh, move over to our next matchup. We got a female matchup. We got Lupi Godinez taking on Emily Dakota. Dakota stepped up here on relative short notice. Uh, she's a plus 120 betting underdog. She's 7,600 on DK, $12 on FanDuel. Lupi Godinez, a minus 140 betting favorite. She's 8,600 on DK, $19 on FanDuel. Pete, which thoughts? What's the what's the likelihood either one of these fighters reaches ninety points? Because in my head, it's twenty percent. Mm-hmm. So yep. I'm probably going to be fading this fight if I'm being honest. Um, we've seen Lupi Godinez smash slates before because of her high takedown upside, but that was because of a an impressive first round submission victory over Savannah Gomez Juarez, and then the only other one she's absolutely smashed was against Ariana Carnelosi. Where she looked like she was going to be UFC champion, but I don't know what the hell happened to that because she went eight of eight in the takedown department. And then prior to that, her other two fights, she went five of 12 against Loman Luke Bumi and then two of 15 against Luana Carolina. After exerting so much, um, so much effort in trying to get the fight to the mat, we have seen her kind of stray away from her takedowns. She went one of three against Angela Hill, which I thought like, Against Angela Hill, you should be attempting more than three takedowns. And then she went 0, uh, 0 of 2 against uh, Cynthia Calvillo. So not really sure what's happening. Um, I know that she has gassed in the past. Um, not gassed, but the fatigue is real. And it probably made her say, you know what? I need to be a little bit more selective instead of just um, completely having you know the, the pedal to the metal when it comes to the wrestling output. And it's kind of gotten her away from her best – path to victory in a lot of these fights so 8600 i think she's going to incorporate takedowns better than she has in her past two fights because if it's on a strip if it's just a striking matchup against emily dakota i think emily can clearly win the fight she's a solid striker um she beat jessica penne in her debut through 205 significant strikes landed 116 uh massive math massive step up a competition against angela hill um she didn't pass the test she's through 173 significant strikes, landed 71. Um, I, I think that one way or another, I don't see the winner of this fight approaching 90 points. So I'm, I'm going to scratch this fight off. I think that Lupi Godinez does get back to her winning ways. And I do think, well, she she did pick up that split decision over Cynthia Calvillo, but I think she's going to get back to impressive ways, I should say, um, and just kind of do enough to, to win a decision here and score mediocre like in the 80s. So uh, I'll be passing on this fight, Jason. I, I like some other ones. And, you know, if Emily Ducote wins a decision and no other underdogs come through, of course she can be a part of the optimal lineup. But I'm expecting a lot of underdogs to come through this week. So I'm okay with passing. 
And just to give you an idea, the fancy score prop over on prize picks for Louis Godini is a 76 and a half. So that kind of tells you, yep. I mean, I, I mean, to me, I think, Pete, the, the question comes down to is how much does the Godinez incorporate her wrestling? We, we know she has that pedigree with her, but we just haven't seen it. And, you know, also I think kind of a concern for me is Godinez just doesn't take a lot of time off between fights. And, and that, to me, it can somewhat be a little bit of concern. Now, the fight that I definitely want to get to this week in terms of GPPs is Joaquin Buckley taking on Andre Fiajo. Joaquin Buckley, uh, I, this was one of those lines that I was surprised by in, in terms yeah. of the betting odds and, and even the DFS lines. Uh, Buckley, a minus 230 betting favorite, 93 on DK, $20 on FanDuel. Fialho is a plus 190 betting underdog. He's 6900 on DK, $9 on FanDuel, Pete. Yeah, I'm really surprised with the salary, um, and I'm also surprised with how wide the odds are considering how unreliable both fighters are. Um, a lot of people are just expecting Joaquin Buckley to come in here off of a, t- off of a knockout loss to Chris Curtis, a pretty bad one, and just get back to the winning ways, and it's a dangerous matchup, right? Like usually Joaquin Buckley is a superior striker than a lot of his opposition. Um, And then when he's not, he can incorporate takedowns better than most people. So he's very well-rounded. I do not like the, um, the jumps between weight classes all the time. I like to see consistent fighters within certain divisions. And sometimes when you see people jump up or cut down, they're just searching for answers. I do think that Walter weight, if he had smart people around him should have been the the answer all along, right? Like you are not a massive man from a stature standpoint, you have a ton of muscle and you're a big kid and very physical, but you, you need to be going off of stature. And like, I have a lot of my heavyweights are just at a complete disadvantage because they're very short compared to a lot of people. And a lot of my heavyweights are five ten and under. And I'm like, guys, like it's fine now. But once we once we turn pro and we start, you know, getting these wins and we start fighting these these big guys, like we gotta get down. Two oh five minimum. We gotta get you to, to middleweight, one eighty five. And even at middleweight, if you look at from like Diego Lima, like Diego Lima's a monster. Mm-hmm. So for the most part, you just have to tailor your stature around the weight class. And with all that being said, Joaquin Buckley has been chinned and knocked out numerous times. He's been hurt a ton. Andre Fialo has also. Um, I'm going to side with the value here, and I feel like it might be a complete contrarian play. Uh, I think that the value is clearly on the Andre Fialo at 6,900. Presents massive, massive knockout upside. Uh, stepping up on short notice to, to fight Michelle Pejea in his debut, who is a dynamic striker. He did fine. Um, you know, the, the worry about Andre Fialo is always about gassing. But early on, he's super dangerous, and we've seen uh, Joaquin Buckley just engage in a firefight. If you tell me first-round finish happens, I think you could flip a coin and it could go either way. Joaquin Buckley can, can knock out Andre Fialo pretty easily, and I think Andre can surprise a lot of people by just throwing some shots down the middle, has a great left hook as well. But if you say this goes 15 minutes, it's clearly Joaquin Buckley's fight. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's probably why... He is favored so much just because he's going to be the better minute winner. But I don't have any trust in either one of these fighters. So I'm going to be siding slightly with Andre Fialo. I feel like he knocks out Joaquin Buckley. Okay, and give you the quote that Joaquin Buckley said this week about dropping to welterweight. He says, I got tired of getting knocked out. I ain't going to lie. I'm not scared to fight anybody, but sometimes that's the problem. It's not about being scared. It's about being smart. I like from a coach's aspect, right? Mm-hmm. That sounds like coaches are in his ear okay. and he's going to get back to his takedowns. That's, that's what I think. And that's why I look at this one as a GPP priority because right. you, you, you broke it down perfectly. Andre Fialo has got that first round knockout upside, but if this fight hits minute eight, minute nine, 10, 11, that to me, it is advantage Joaquin Buckley. Oh, yeah. If Joaquin Buckley laces up his wrestling shoes, he wins this fight 80% of the time. You know what I mean? I, I really do believe that. I just don't have any trust that he does so because, you know, he's fallen in love with his hands, and I talk about it all the time. I mean, let's look at some of these takedown attempts. Zero of zero against 
uh, Chris Curtis. He went 0 of 3 against Nasruddin Imrovov, um, 0 of 0 against Albert Durayev, against a dangerous striker, Abdul Razak Al Hassan, who you can kind of draw some parallels between, mm-hmm. uh, you know, similar to Andre Fialo. He went 5 of 8. So, in a specific matchup like that where he was shook and said, you know what, this guy hits really hard, I'm the better MMA fighter. He went into the takedown department. He only scored 80, though. But I do think that there is late-round finish upside for Joaquin Buckley due to the fatigue that Andre Fialo has shown in the past. Yeah, and I'll tell you, when I looked at the ownership projection on this one, I was actually kind of surprised it wasn't a little higher than what the current projections are at there. Let's move over. Next up, we got a lightweight matchup between Diego Fajaya and Michael Johnson. Diego is a minus-150 betting favorite. He is $8,700 on DK, $18 on FanDuel. And then for Michael Johnson, he's a plus-125 betting underdog, $7,500 on DK, $13 on FanDuel. I did see a quote uh, from Michael Johnson that says uh, he still has title aspirations. Yeah, hey, I'll tell you what, the, the skills have always been there for Michael Johnson. They really have. Um, it's just he's very, very difficult to um, to get right as far as fight predictions-wise. Um, and also, just like motivation is considered. There, there was a time where he was lackadaisical in the octagon and kind of just going through the motions, and his performances clearly showed that. But when he's on, he's some of the best. He's one of the best fighters in the world. He had an absolute war with Jamie Malarkey, who's a stud within the division. And um, you know, a lot of people thought he won that fight, and he scored thirty-seven fantasy points. Mark Jacasey, who was like the takedown god in his most in his past couple fights, he just completely took him out of his game, and he ended up winning a decision at sixty-four uh, with sixty-four fantasy points at seven thousand. So this is a situation where Michael Johnson's speed and his power is always going to make him super live, and he's actually been defending takedowns a lot, working a lot with Greg Jones out of Killcliffe FC. I love that team. It's, it might be my favorite team, I have to tell you. It might be my favorite team out there. Um, he defended six takedowns against uh, Mark Casey, and then against Jamie Malarkey, two takedowns defended, and then against Alain Patrick, five takedowns defended. Is that sprawl and brawl nature? is what he needs to do against Diego Fajaya, who's extremely aged within this division. And, uh, you know, Diego Fajaya has an impressive resume, and his past three fighters are all better than Michael Johnson, Mataj Gamrot, Gregor Gillespie, and Benil Dariush. But I don't think that matters because I think the miles are on there, and, and I think the, the tread is off the tires, and I do think that Michael Johnson is going to knock out Diego Fajaya here at 7,500, so... I'll be siding with Michael Johnson at 7,500, but if Michael, you know, just kind of is lackadaisical, he can get submitted after dominating. We've seen that multiple times. He was beating Tiago Moises, got submitted. He's always winning his fights until he's not. Um, so he's very untrustworthy, but I'm picking him at 7,500 to win. I want to I want to mention something you, you threw out there. If you look at the previous three fights for for Diego. He did not have the grappling advantage in the matchup. Where in this one, he does have the grappling advantage. Yeah. And so it's a drastically different fight. But one thing is like when you talk about guys I just love like watching fight, Michael Johnson's one of those guys. Like he's one of those guys that I just want to see him in against a striker. I don't yeah. want to see him go up against a grappler because I mean, look, if you're gonna beat Michael Johnson, that that's a clear way to go there. Now, when you talk about striking, this next matchup, uh, I'm pretty confident to say uh, the only way a takedown is happening is someone gets rock, and, and that's Borshev and Mashate. Borshev is a minus 150 betting favorite, uh, my, plus 125 for Mashate. Uh, Borshev 8800 on DK, $19 on Fanduel, and uh, Mashate is 7400 on DK, $11 on Fanduel. Of course, uh, Borshev is like he, he's the he's the the oddball at Team Alpha Male. As mm-hmm. he's the striker who doesn't really have great wrestling, where everyone else at Team Alpha Bell has those wrestling. But this is another fight, Pete, that I I kind of think is going 15 minutes, but like I think it is a sneaky GPP fight to kind of circle. Yeah. So when whenever you have two prolific strikers go at it, you either have well, if they're technical, you tend to have a technical battle that goes 15 minutes. Um, because they're both sharp defensively, offensively. They understand the threat that's opposite of them. When you got when you have people that are less technical and more aggressive, that's when you have finishes. And a finish can clearly happen here. 
I'm going to, uh, you know, watch this fight. I'm going to enjoy this fight. I do side with uh, Slava Claus Borshev at 8,800 to get it done. I do think that he is a little bit more dynamic than Mahashate. Uh, Mahashate is pretty damn big for the division. He hits really hard. We have seen Borshev hurt on the contender series and then uh, land a beautiful counter left hook and kind of, you know, pick himself up from almost defeat, the jaws of defeat, if you will. Um, in the in the UFC, if you're going to give Borshev any fight, he, he might be licking his chops right here. I'm telling you right now, like, this is perfect. He can go out there and just be free. He can be free and not have to worry about throwing a combination and his opponent just, you know, ducking underneath and taking him down. And that's why a lot of strikers are super reserved in MMA is because they don't have that confidence in their wrestling or the timing in their wrestling to be able to throw everything while also defending. So uh, I'm going to be siding with Slava Klaus Borshev. I've watched a ton of his training. I've watched a ton of his prior fights. And uh, this is a name that I've been excited to see in striking matchups. And uh, yeah, I, I do like Slava Claus here. I, I think that you know chopping low kicks are going to be imperative here because if he stays with his head on the center line, that monster right hand of Mahashate can put his lights out pretty easily. So um, I'm excited to watch it. I'm going to get to it for DFS just because they both hit so hard and they're very dynamic that a finish could happen. Um, I'm going to be siding with, with Slava Claus Borshev, but I don't hate the underdog Mahashate for numerous reasons. Let's move over to our next matchup. It's a female matchup between Vanessa Demopoulos and Carolina Kovacavish. Of course, I mentioned a little earlier that Demopoulos did miss weight, and uh, it looks like that the fight is going forward as she's been fined 20% of her purse. Did not look very good on the scale. She's a plus 110 betting underdog, minus 134. Carolina Kovacavish. Kovacavich, 8500 on DK, $17 on FanDuel. And for Demopoulos, 7700 on DK, $14 on FanDuel. Uh, one note I'll mention about Demopoulos here is she she was, uh, for a long time, was at Fight Ready when she moved from California into Arizona. Uh, she left Fight Ready. She is now training at Factory X Muay Thai. I like Factory X. So it's not like it's a superior downgrade at all. Uh, it's almost like a lateral move. I'm okay with it. Obviously, the reason I like Demopolis at Fight Ready was because the high-level wrestling. Um, Factory X still has high-level wrestling, but they are pretty technical striking. And I, I do think that's going to be helpful for Vanessa Demopoulos, who at a time was just a walking punching bag. Now she's blending things. She's throwing great strikes, well, aggressive strikes into takedowns. So her opponents have to really respect what's coming their way because she can hit you with a big shot or she can just blend it and take you down with a, with a double leg. That wrestling has improved. She used to just be a, uh, a threat off of her back. That wrestling has 100% improved. And I'm interested to see both uh, Kovalkiewicz and Demopoulos clash because for a time, Karolina Kovalkiewicz was was sneaky good, right? And then she went into that really, really big hole where she lost to Jessica Andrade, Michelle Waterson, Alexa Grasso, Jan Shaunan, and Jessica Penne. Five fights in a row. So it looked like her career was over. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she ended up getting a second-round finish over Felice Herrig, um, via submission, and then most recently uh, won a decision against Silvana Gomez-Juarez. Let me tell you, that that performance, Gomez-Juarez has improved, and she's not as bad as people think. But I think that Vanessa Demopoulos is better than Silvana Gomez-Juarez, and you know for multiple reasons. Obviously, she has a victory over her, but as far as just skills-wise, if you were going to rate her in every category, I do think that Vanessa Demopoulos is a good wrestler and uh, clearly superior in the submission department. And usually Karolina Kovacavich can dominate people in that sneaky area. She throws high volume, um, can get hit a lot. I hate the fact that Vanessa Demopoulos missed weight. Um, or so because of how she looked. She didn't look good on the scale. And that's what's really, you know, the, uh, the image of that is kind of like, messing with my mind right now, but I'm still going to stick to my guns and I'm still going to pick Vanessa Demopoulos to beat Karolina Kovacavich. Um I'm okay with getting away from this fight for some of my lineups. Uh, I do think that there are mistakes to be made 
and that Demopolis can capitalize on those mistakes. So uh, give me Demopolis at 7,700. This is one of those fights that I really don't love for GPPs where I can see when I'm creating, you know, 20 max lineups that yeah. I set my exposure to 20% on each side of this fight just because I, I don't want to find myself getting into that 30, 35% range, you know, just because of where the price point is on this one. But, uh, yeah, if, for people who have not seen, just go over to Twitter and look at the way Demopolis looked on the scale. I mean, it's just not a, a good look there. Now let's get over to the who do you trust more, Orion Koski or Gilbert Urbina? Koski, a minus 115 betting favorite, minus 105 for Urbina. Koski, 8400 on DK, $16 on Fandle. Urbina, 7800 on DK and $15 on Fandle. Pete, who do you trust more? I trust Gilbert Urbina more, and I know that may seem like a shock to a lot of people because he's super volatile, he's reckless, he will put himself in great positions, he'll be dominating, then he'll get reversed, and then he's looking like he's about to get finished, and then it's crazy. It's it's like some amateur tendencies um, and some fight IQ mistakes as well, overexertion where he's just going too crazy and doesn't know how to pace himself um, efficiently. I do think that the time off and with the correct people in his ear could make him, you know, really just scale things back a little bit. He has all the skills to make this a, a tough fight for Orion Kosey. Circle this fight. You need the winner of this fight, in my opinion. Um, Orion Kosey has shown that he is a gasser. Uh, he has shown that he's very dangerous early on, can hit you and knock you down with, with big shots, has wrestling to get takedowns, but doesn't have the cardio to really go to that well too often. Um, we did see him pick up a third-round finish on the Contender Series. But I'll tell you what, the visual and just everything in my memory against Blood Diamond, it was a poor performance. Yeah. And Blood Diamond is not UFC caliber at all. At all. So I, I do I do not like see that win and, and think that he's going to rebound, you know, pick up another victory in a more impressive fashion. He could. Uh, because of Urbina's mistakes. But if you lay out all the skills here, I think that Urbina has shown me more despite the fact he's been finished. He put Brian Battle in tons of terrible positions, and he wasn't even supposed to be fighting that fight. He landed two of six takedown attempts in seven minutes of fighting, um, was was doing great against Brian Battle, pushes like an Anthony Hernandez type of pace. Mm -hmm. And that pace, if he avoids getting finished... I think we'll break Orion Kosi because Kosi, I mean, we, we saw what Phil Rowe did to him. If you can just avoid Kosi early on, you can make him gas and then you can capitalize. Blood Diamond had some some success in there too. I'm going to get to the other side and Kosi just because of the untrustworthy tendencies of Urbina, but I'm siding with Gilbert Urbina. I don't know why I like this guy. It's weird whenever you just like randomly – root for somebody and you're like yeah i like this guy i like him and i like the way that he fights and i think that he can be pretty good with the correct coaching staff around him so i don't know if it's going to happen but i'm picking uh gilbert urbina to win at 7800 i mean you mentioned about blood diamond fight koski misweighing that one and he yeah. really wore down in the late second early third and all the third round that to me is a concern but this is i i think it's got to be a priority fight well, we're talking about GPPs. Next up, we got a heavyweight matchup. We got Rodrigo Nascimento taking on Lira Latifi. Nascimento is a minus 190 betting favorite. He's 9000 on DK, $19 on FanDuel. Latifi plus 160 on the betting odds. And on DK, $7,200, 10 on FanDuel. Uh, you know, here's the one thing I don't like about Lira Latifi is he seems to kind of be in this one, one foot in, one foot out in terms of whether he's going to continue fighting or, or whether he's going to retire, that's always a concern for me, Pete. Yeah, and also it seems like in a lot of his fights, you're watching it, you're like, is he about to lose this? Like, you're waiting because he looks fatigued all the time. Um, his fight IQ, his aggressiveness, his output is just minimal where you're, you're like, well, it all depends on what the judges are, are valuing here. And... You know, when, when you look at him and he's not throwing more than 20 significant strikes in a round and he's gassed because he can overexert himself. And this is why this card is super, super volatile is because of people not knowing how to pace themselves. Um, 
I just think that Alir Latifi, for the most part, has the grappling edge over people, especially the wrestling edge over his opposition. And then, like, if if people defend takedowns against him, he gasses and he's a sitting duck for some big shots. I know that Rodrigo Nascimento has been working uh, extensively on his striking, a lot of boxing combinations. Um, Alir Latifi, knee-jerk reaction when I saw this, I'm like, wow, Latifi as a dog, I'm interested. And then I started diving into it, and I took age and injuries and inactivity. You know what I mean? Like Latifi, a lot of Latifi's wins are like years ago, like some of the best wins years ago. Uh, in 2021, he picked up a split decision over Tanner Bozer. And then 2022, he picked up a uh, unanimous decision over Alexi Olenek. I, I mean, like he, he landed three of six takedown attempts, but like as dangerous as Olenek is, you can take Olenek down. He has poor balance. I think that Rodrigo Nascimento might be one of the sneakiest 9,000 options on this entire slate. Just from like a fatigue standpoint, I think that he could make Alir Latifi want out. He could possibly get a takedown. I know that Alir has no neck, so it's going to be very hard to choke him. Um, but I, I actually think the the youth advantage and just being a part of American Top Team with some of the best fighters on the planet is going to make me get to Rodrigo Nascimento despite the uh, low DFS score expectations. Like if you 84 against Bozer, 94 against Alain Badeau, 99 against Dante Mays, but it does seem like a guy who he, you know, he's due for a hundred points. And, and I think it could happen in a very strange fight here in the heavyweight division against Alir Latifi. Could be a very sneaky play as a FanDuel uh, MVP. I'm just going to, I'm going to throw that one out there for you. Also, something to note is, and Latifi's always going to be in this situation in the heavyweight division, uh, yeah. a seven inch reach disadvantage in, in that one. But uh, could, you know, I mean, look, we talk about it every week here on the show uh, of finding that 9,000 option that maybe people may, may or may not be getting to. Um, but, you know, there there's, there's cause for concern of potentially if this thing hits the third round of who has the better gas tank. In. But the thing that always scares me about Latifi, especially GPPs, is he just doesn't have volume. And that's the thing that always scares me about mm -hmm. him. Uh, next up, we got a matchup as Chase Hooper moves up to 155, take on Nick Fiore. Fiore is a minus 135 betting favorite, 8,300 DK, $17 on Fandle. Chase is a plus 115 betting underdog, 7,900 on DK, $14 on Fandle. And uh, Pete, I never know what to do with Chase Hooper. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I think, you know, the jujitsu skills are there, um, but the MMA game is not. I told you a long time ago, I didn't like the the gym choices. If you are going to cross-train and you are going to look to improve your skills, try to complement your skills. A lot of times it's easier to complement your skills than, than fill a void. So like working on your striking, but like pretty striking, karate striking, not everybody can do that, man. You know what I mean? Like it, a lot of people can't do that at all. What he should have done is just really honed in on developing his wrestling so that he can get the fight where he wants it in his in the jujitsu realm um chase hooper i think is going to be a popular underdog i'll get to him at 7900 but i'll tell you what nick fiore in new england a lot of people know that this kid's ground game is legit uh very very good um obviously soft competition uh a lot of uh inferior opponents throughout his record um but if you go back in his amateur days He's fought a lot of tough competition, so probably tougher fights as an amateur than he has as a pro. Um, you know, and, and I've seen him in some absolute grappling exchanges. He can get put in bad positions, but he's a very good grappler. He's very heavy. He's a part of the New England cartel and helping Calvin Cater, Rob Font, all those guys um, develop their game, and he's a main sparring partner for them. I think that Nick Fiore for stepping up on short notice and, you know, doing okay against Mataj Rubeski, who is a very, very dangerous fighter. Um, Fiore got dominated, yes, but like he landed a takedown against Rubeski, and a lot of people don't, a lot of people can't do that. Uh, he took a lot of shots from Rubeski, and Rubeski is a dangerous guy. So it, it was a foot in the door. He got into the UFC. Now he's here. 
He's in a matchup where Chase Hooper has zero physicality. So you know that Fiore is going to be the stronger of the two. Um, the issue with Chase, the issue with fighting Chase is he's so weird and odd that he can create scrambles from anywhere. He can reverse positions a lot. And I can see him winning any fight by some stupid submission, like an inverted triangle because of his crazy, you know, his crazy reach in his arms and legs and just like being so unorthodox and tricky that his strange jujitsu can, can kind of like pull him from the jaws of defeat. But if you think about it, like Peter Barrett was doing just fine up until the third round. And I do think that Nick Fiore mm -hmm. is a better fighter than Peter Barrett. So give me Nick Fiore here at 8,300. I was hoping we were going to get dog money and, uh, you know, under 8,000 for Fiore. Just thinking that people were going to go to, you know, chase Hooper and, and back him heavily. But I think the public has, uh, you know, gotten off the hype train. And, and for me, I, I think it's Fiore's fight to lose. You know, we, you know, Pete, uh, I don't want you New England fighters to hate me. But uh, when you talk about the New England bingo card. Yeah, no, I know. It's <laughs> Jay Ellis is on the bingo card. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, a lot of. Not, not, hey, not just once. He beat Jay Ellis twice. Yeah, see that? It's a bad look, right? Like, yeah. Fighting Jay Ellis at all, it's like, I don't think it does anything to you other than give you that, give you a win on your record. But like, it almost hurts you in a point too. I, I think personally, it's like, yeah. why bother? Look, I, I, I've, I've told this story. I'll continue to tell it. The one thing I've always been told about Jay Ellis, no matter what, you know, he's showing up. He ain't pulling out yeah. of a fight. Yeah. I like that. That's cool, man. You know, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, but you do mention, I mean, look, when you go to topology and this is one of the things why I love to go topology, especially when we're talking about fighters who are either making their UFC debut or maybe have had one UFC fight is, you know, looking at the type of competition that that fighter, I mean, that, that if, if you're talking about a, a negative side of Nick heading into this matchup, that would be the matchup soft competition, you know, on that regional scene here, but you know, he does now have one UFC fighter on his belt. You know, he, he does have a submission game, but I mean, like if you're, if you're Tyson Chartier and you're in cartel, I mean, like I'm, I, the thought to me would be is like, why try to go that wheelhouse when you know you're, you should be the better stand up fighter. Yeah. I don't, I don't really think Nick Fiori's stand ups all that good. I don't think it's bad either, but the, the issue is you're playing with fire. So I understand yeah. what you're saying. So it's going to be a lot of sprawl and brawl and it's going to be landing in top position. Um, we saw Steven Peterson do just fine against Chase Hooper by executing a similar game plan. Um, just be aware and be a step ahead in all the reversals and use that weight. I, I think that a jump up in, in a weight class for a guy that lacked all the physicality in the world makes no sense to me. So uh, uh, I, I'm going to go Nick Fiore. It's not like he was strong at, at featherweight. That, he was, was weak as shit, and now he's going up to lightweight. Lightweight guys are like 180. 190. I'm I'm a lightweight guy and I'm 185 right now. You know what I mean? So it's like there, there's a lightweight that I know walks around 195. Yeah, I mean I mean I, that that's to me is when I start going into into breaking down this car, I was like Chase wasn't big at 145. Like Yeah. I mean, I I just it, and it's he's also, so young. It's not like he's a he's yeah, dealing with he, it's too tough to cut the weight. You know he, what I'm saying? It, it, but here's the issue. This is where Chase Hooper's a prime example of why you take your time to get to the big leagues develop mm -hmm. on that regional scene put your body in in where your body needs to be from you know getting that man strength that that to me has always been concerned about chase Hooper, but for whatever reason i always end up being wrong with chase so who knows maybe i'll be wrong here again uh next up we got the biggest favorite on the car that's natalia silva she's a nine to one betting favorite against victoria leonardo she's 9700 on dk 23 dollars on fanduel leonardo is 6500 on dk eight dollars on fanduel pete quickly go through this natalia silva is a fantastic fighter she looked absolutely amazing against Jasmine Jasuda Vicious. She looked even better against Teresa Blada, where she picked up a third round TKO KO. Um, she scored in you know eighty five in both of her UFC fights. She's now priced at ninety seven hundred. You know it's very difficult to pay off ninety seven hundred um, when there's a lot of volatile matchups on the slate. We need her to get a fast win or you know just complete domination in round one. Um, to really pay off that salary or just, you know what I mean? It, it's, it almost seems untouchable. Um, 
I think it's it's pretty clear she's going to get the victory here on the regional scene. Victoria Leonardo, um, her only path to beating Natalia Silva is putting Natalia Silva on her back, possibly, and, and you know maybe Natalia just plays jujitsu a little too much, but I don't see that happening. Natalia has looked like championship material. Not even kidding. You know she's been defending takedown six in both of her past fights. She's going to win this fight. I just don't think she pays off the salary. Yeah, I mean that that's a nice seven hundred dollar price tag. I mean, oof, it's it's just a yeah. huge price tag to get to. Then of course your opening fight is your A two thousand eight thousand fight with DK Sato Garimbo. Uh Sato is a plus one hundred betting underdog, minus one twenty for Garimbo on the other side, and then fifteen and sixteen over there on FanDuel with Sato being the fifteen dollar fighter. Yeah, I'll tell you what. Don't trust either one of these fighters, but get to a lot of them. Uh, the price tag always makes this fight. You know, very easy to get to for your lineups, and especially when both fighters are a little untrustworthy. Temba Garimbo um, from EFC, he's been good. Uh, he's a submission guy, and he can actually throw on the feet. I've seen him hurt on the feet, though, which is a little concerning when you're going against Takashi Sato, who has a piston left hand. Um, but, like, when you debut on short notice against, against A.J. Fletcher, who I hold in pretty high regard, and you put AJ Fletcher, who's a very good striker, a very good wrestler, and a very good jiu-jitsu practitioner in some really bad spots. And I was like scratching my head like, damn, is this guy Temba Garimbo going to really just pull off an upset over AJ Fletcher? Um, AJ Fletcher off the break through a nice elbow into a guillotine choke. But prior to that, man, it was competitive. And Temba Garimbo, yes, he was put on his back also, but he landed two of two takedowns. Um, was reversed, uh, got a reversal himself. I think the clear path to victory is just shoot like crazy against Takashi Sato, who has a uh, judoka background but is a very good striker. And we've seen his Achilles heel in MMA is his submission defense and his wrestling. You would think that at Killcliffe FC, it's been developing and improving, but it's kind of hard to trust, trust Sato. I thought Gunnar Nelson was going to submit him. Gunnar Nelson had like 10 minutes of back control time against them. Took him down whenever he wanted. Gunnar Nelson is a fantastic grappler. Um, so maybe it means something that he wasn't able to finish Sato. But honestly, when I just look at skills and see the lack of Brazilian jiu-jitsu in Takashi Sato's uh, game, I got to go with Temba Garimbo. I think Temba is either going to shoot a ridiculous amount of takedowns where he enough of them are going to get through for Takashi Sato and route to a decisive victory, or I think he's just going to pick up a submission win. Or on the flip side, Takashi Sato just hits him with a step back left hand, mm-hmm. and we get a high score. So I'm going to be sided with Temba Garimbo here at 8,000, but uh, I-, I feel like you need this fight. I really do. Yeah, it, it was another fight that I looked at. Let's get into our straight-up fight picks. Main event, I'm going to go underdog number one, Angela Hill. Yeah, I'm going to go with uh, Mackenzie Dern, but, you know, if it was a three-rounder, I'd be going with Hill. Uh, I will go Anthony Hernandez. Hernandez. I will go Godinez, but I think this fight's closer than uh, the odds. I hate to fight for DFS, but I'm going Godinez. I will go Buckley. All right, let's 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 switch things up. I'm going Fialo. All right. All right. Uh, I'm going to go Diego Fajaya just because of the grappling advantage. Oh, interesting. You have, you see, he's sporting a new haircut too. He looks he looks like a completely different person. I'm gonna go with Michael Johnson. Uh, give me. Uh, I'm gonna uh, underdog number two in my shotte. Okay, I'm gonna go with uh, Slava Claus Borshev. I knew it's gonna be. I knew it was gonna be one of these weeks where we disagree on a lot, but our exposures are probably gonna be pretty similar. Yeah, uh, I would go Kovacavich, but I think arm guard from guard is live in this one. I hear you. I'm going Demopolis. Uh, I'm going to go underdog number three, Urbino. Ooh, I like it. Give me Urbino. Uh, give me Nascimento. Yeah, Nascimento for me. I'll go Fiore. Fiore. Uh, give me Silva. Silva. And then uh, I think it'll be Sato as a, uh, yeah, it'll be underdog number four for me in Sato. Yeah, uh, I'm going to go with uh, Temo Garimbo. Over on prize picks, uh, I don't love a ton on prize picks this week. Um, you know, just because I, I do like Angel Hill away in the main event, uh, less than 98 and a half fantasy score on Mackenzie Dern. Um, 
I, I'm going to say under two takedowns for Lupi Godinez. I, I think that's fight that fight's gonna stay on the feet. Uh I I go I think more twelve and a half fight time minutes on Nasamento. Under one and a half takedowns for Chase Hooper. Those are the ones that stick out to me the most. Yeah, I, I like that that takedown prop for, for Hooper. I like the under on that. Yeah, I mean I, I'm kind of feeling like I'm gonna put a five uh player card together and maybe have two from the UFC and then three from the NBA tonight. Probably be where I, I kind of play a card, and, and that's like one it. of the and that's one of the great things about prize picks. You can do cross sports entries as something to play in there. Uh, get some questions in over from Discord so we start to wrap things up here. Best value plays under eight K on DraftKings. Um, I mean, look, Angel Hill and Cash I think is a great value play in terms of. Uh, I, I wouldn't necessarily say GPP more of a cash games play. Um, other value plays, I, I mean, look, Andre Fajio, we all know first-round upside in terms of him. Uh, Mahashate's got that upside to me. Urbina would be another one. Um, those would be the only ones I would throw in there. Yeah, so my three, if I had to give them, would be Urbina, Johnson, and Demopolis. Uh, ranked the 9K fighters, and who has the best takedown upside? Well, best takedown upside to me has, has got to be Anthony Hernandez. Agree. Takedown upside number two, I would say is Joaquin Buckley if he wants to, but I just don't trust that he does. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the 9,000 options, um, I would put Hernandez number one for me. Number two, I would put Buckley if he does go the takedown route. Number three, I would go Nasimento. Four, I would go Silva. Five, I would go Dern. Yeah, I don't think Nasimento is going to take down Alir Latifi. I, I think that he's going to knock him out or hurt him enough. Um, but yeah, I think that Natalia Silva, like she can do, she can win this fight however she wants. It comes down to like what she wants to do. I would imagine she wants to keep it on the feet, but maybe she wants to just completely make a statement. She landed two of three takedowns against Jasmine Chisuda Vicious, who's a solid uh, wrestler. But uh, it's clearly Hernandez one, Buckley two. Dern three, Silva four, Nascimento five for me. Uh, nice parlay slash Fanduel MVP ideas. I'll touch on the Fanduel MVP ideas here. Um, I, I think Anthony Hernandez because that takedown upside potentially racking up some points there. Um, you know, I, I look at uh, Buckley as another potential one uh, as an MVP. Um, Nascimento I think is a little bit of a sneaky one as well. Um. Really don't love Dern. She's getting a lot of ownership at MVP. I really want to go there. Yeah, I'm okay with getting away from the fight, man. I, I am. Yeah, I mean, in terms of a parlay, I mean, like, I, like if I was going to start a ticket, a parlay ticket with anyone, I'd probably start with Anthony Hernandez. Would probably be my, my top one. I get it, but I tell you, it, it seems like a trap. I know, I, I get you. Like a trap. It seems like a parlay trap. I, I think that Hernandez is clearly my favorite. 9,000 option, and I love the stylistic matchup. But certain cards, you got to say, screw it, man. I'm not making a parlay. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you're yeah. going to get two of the three or three of the four, and then you, something stupid's going to happen, and then you're going to be out all the money. So I'd rather go fight by fight this card. Yeah, I mean, I, I always feel like, and I really don't like uh, parlaying props. It, it might be more of, I would maybe look at parlaying props more than anything else. Maybe yeah. some over-unders, uh, over one-and-a-half round type props, but not not a ton that really uh, stick out to me there. Uh, top three favorites based on scoring potential. Um, I mean, scoring potential, Andre Fialho's got to be up there, that first-round upside of what he could do. I mean, Shabazi, you might want to put in there too, is if he's going to win, it's going to be in the first or second round. These are underdogs? Yeah. As far as upside, yeah. It's clearly Fialo 1, Shabazian 2. And then it's... How about, how about Gil Urbina? Yeah, I like it. I mean, there's so many. that That's why I, I look at these underdogs and I'm like, if they win, I'm expecting a huge score. Like, if Mahashate wins, I think he wins by knockout. If Michael Johnson wins, I think it's by knockout. Urbina's pace, though, Urbina and like Hernandez together, they're they're so similar with the pace they push. They could both break the slate, and I'm probably going to pair those two together. 
And the final question we'll have over here, and of course, if you want to get a question, one of the best places to do that is over by joining our Discord channel. Totally free to join. Link is below. And uh, it says, uh, what's your main event exposure? I will tell you this. I'll be well under the field in terms of what we're seeing ownership-wise. Um, I, I think Dern, I'll probably maybe be in that 25 30% range. Wow, Hill, Hill, I'll probably be maybe a little less. I like Hill as a cash game play more than a GPP play. Yeah, and, and, you know, it could still be a solid DFS fight and not be a part of the optimal lineup. Yeah. You just need the other fights to go off, and I'm going to take that chance this week. No, I totally get you there. Of course, if you do have any questions, uh, you can leave a comment right here in YouTube. Myself or Pete, we will get back to you. Of course, also you can join our Discord channel as uh, we're always in there talking uh, fight game, whatever may be going on. So be sure to check us out over there. Pete, anything else you want to leave the listeners with before we get out of here? No, I just want to say thanks, guys. Uh, ugly card, but let's make some money. Pick your spots. Make sure you got good ownership, on uh, good exposure on certain fighters. And, uh, yeah, join the Discord so you guys can keep the uh, conversation going. Hit that like button for us. Get us over 100 likes. We super, we really, really appreciate that. And uh, help us get to 1,000 subscribers one way or another. If you can shout us out on uh, social media, that'd be you know truly appreciated. But all in all, thanks for tuning in to another edition here on Fight HQ. We always appreciate it, of course. Uh, you can always check out the show on the podcast channels as well. The show will be up there in a little bit later on this afternoon. And, of course, I'll add those time marks here after the show is over. So that's going to do it for us. We'll be back in two weeks. We'll get you ready for the next UFC Fight Night car, which I'm pretty sure is in the apex. I want to say it's headlined by Kai Car France, I want to say. That's the email I got the other day on that one. I, I live kind of a week-by-week basis. So uh, we'll, we'll be back here in two weeks and break that one down for you. Of course, appreciate everyone tuning in for this episode of the Fight HQ podcast.